Warriors World Champions. The Anaheim Ducks are the Stanley Cup champions. Pitch swinging. Oh, and first pitch crushing. Oh, man. Lean into it. Zegers here. He can Oh, look at this. Oh, he just Welcome to the Catelicast, the number one podcast in my opinion that covers your favorite teams linked by Catella Avenue, the Anaheim Ducks, and the Los Angeles Angels. I'm your host, Sai Miyake. Please follow us on Twitter at Catelicast Show. That's at Catelicast Show, all one word. And please listen, share, download, or review this podcast on all platforms, please. I really appreciate it. Five stars only. Thank you very much. Um, before I get into any of the topics that I have for this episode, I just wanted to um, put out some housekeeping things, just some uh, news update for the podcast or for the show. And on, so I will be starting my summer job on Catalina Island. Um, it's a pretty cool, pretty fun summer job that I tend to do very often. And so I probably won't be uploading episodes uh, weekly for at least probably a couple months now. Uh, it ends on July 31st. Uh, I'll try to be as consistent as possible. I'll try to still keep uploading uh, at least one episode a week, but we'll see about that. And then also the uh, the audio quality might not be the best sometimes because I might be I might even be recording outside sometimes. You never know, just with uh, wherever I can find a great audio and a good ambiance. So uh, just. Be on the lookout for that if the episodes start to uh, become like a bi-weekly thing, that's okay. And frankly, if the Angels, if this series in Texas that they just got swept in, um, if this is a continuing trend, then maybe it's a good thing that we won't be having uh, so many episodes uh, once a week. So, But hopefully, of course, the Angels can reverse that trend. And then as far as the Ducks for the NHL draft, I'll try to... Uh, try to put together a little draft preview and like a little draft review. Um, I don't, I'm not really well versed in uh, scouting or in scouting as far as um, NHL draft prospects. And so hopefully I can get somebody on here that can help me out in that. And then we can, you know, have a little, have a little uh, get together and then talk about it. Maybe throw that up for an episode or something like that. But anyways, let's get into the angels. Oh boy, the angels, what happened? So, Last episode, right, was just a raw reaction right from the Reed Detmers no-hitter. And since then, the Angels took, they uh, they defeated the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, they took two out of three against Tampa Bay. Totally fine, amazing game, or amazing series. And then they took three out of four against the Oakland A's. Um, the only loss they had was that weird, uh, that weird loss in extra innings uh, in the first game of that Saturday doubleheader, which Rysel Iglesias did below a save or no, 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 he gave up the, yeah, no, yeah. He gave up a uh, walk-off home run in the 10th inning in the bottom of the 10th inning to Oakland. And then the angels came back and they won the game on Sunday. And so going into this Texas series, I mean, Texas is, you have to remember that the Texas Rangers are an improved ball club, right? They made a lot of acquisitions this year and they are not going to be as bad 
as they were last year, right? That's just not how it's going to work. And even though Mark, someone like Marcus Simeon is struggling really bad still, I mean, Texas is a much improved team compared to last year. But still, I mean, it's a little bit, it's a little bit unexcusable to have to get swept by the Texas Rangers when you have pretty much your frontline starters going out, right? You had uh, in the first game, you had Noah Syndergaard just get absolutely blasted. And then in the second game, you had um, who was who was the starting pitcher? Why am I why am I forgetting the starting pitcher yesterday? Oh, Reed, that's right, duh, Reed Detmers. Um, and then Shohei Otani was the starting pitcher uh, tonight. And when you have when you have when you're going into a three game series and you have Thor and Otani pitching two of the three games, you should expect to win at least one game at this point. Just the way the Angels have been rolling, but. The mistakes and the issues that we saw with the Angels earlier in the season, kind of before they went on this late uh, hot streak, I guess, before they got swept, they started to rear their ugly head, right? Just the starting pitching, just not really not really providing the length that they need, especially when you look at Noah Syndergaard, right? Unfortunately, Thor just got absolutely lit up in that first game, and he couldn't even get out of the first inning. He gave up just a ton of runs after the Angels um, scored three in the top half of the first inning. He gave up six before he can record three outs, and then they were down six to three pretty quickly. And then things just spiraled from there, right? It just basically became a bullpen game. And a common theme, something that I've noticed with the Angels the last few years, and something that I've addressed in this podcast before, is that this team sometimes is unable to snatch momentum. And you saw it, right? We're going to go back to the first game, right? Angels with their big three, right, of Ward, uh, Trout, and Otani at the top. They immediately jump up to a 3 nothing lead. And then in the top of the first inning, right? Start of the game, and then you're thinking, okay, here we go, right? This is going to be another big game for the Angels offense. We're going to get this going. And then immediately they give up a clunker, right? Syndergaard gives us six runs. And even if he didn't, even if, say, he gave up one run, right? that still gives Texas some life. That still allows them to creep back into the game a little bit. You know, if if Thor was able to go was able to go up there in the bottom half of the first inning and just throw up a zero, I mean Texas probably rolls over at that point. They or maybe not rolls over, but the doubt kind of starts to set in. But when you're when you're losing three nothing really quickly and then all of a sudden, you know, you're scoring six runs, then of course you're gonna be super confident. And I think that confidence really carried over into the next game. Because it was kind of it was kind of the same thing with the Angels where they would have a they would have a lead and then they just blow it. Um, I don't you know this was just a really bad blow up game with game number two with Ryan Tapera just really struggling out there. Defense didn't help them with uh, that Brandon Marsh play where the ball went by him. And then we just had a bunch of chaos ensuing in the infield with Matt Duffy getting hit and. It was just a bad game overall. I mean, that game was over as soon as, as soon as Texas, as soon as they took that lead, um, in which inning was it? As soon as they, what was that? The bottom of the, yeah, bottom of the eighth inning. As soon as they tied it, I kind of just was watching the game and then I was like, oh, well, th- this is over. And then even before, I think it was like in the fifth inning. And I'm, I'm a pe- very pessimistic uh, fan when it comes to Angels. And I just said, no, I don't really want to watch this. Like, I, I think something bad's going to happen. And then sure enough, right, they just, Texas had that huge blow up eighth inning and scored a bunch of runs. And they won it 10 to 5. And then we have to talk about tonight, well, last night's game. Shohei Otani on the mound. You, you have a pretty good feeling as an Angels fan thinking, okay, maybe they can salvage this. They can at least get one, one win right here, avoid the sweep. 
And then sure enough, right, they jump out to one nothing lead, jump out to two nothing lead, and then you think, okay, this is going pretty well. Otani gives up a run in the bottom of the fourth. It's fine, no big deal. And then just the doubt kind of just um, it just kind of sets in slowly but surely. Texas is starting to come back, and freaking Jonah Heim. So Ramon Laureano on Oakland has been the Angels' kryptonite, and then I guess Jonah Heim is now the Angels. Uh, Texas Rangers ver- uh, version of Kryptonite. And then, of course, leave it to Cole Calhoun to kind of become Mike Napoli 2.0 or even uh, Vladdy Guerrero 2.0, right? Former Angel that goes to Texas. And then all- when they play the Angels, all they do is just kill the Angels. And especially because, right, they're division rivals. You're going to see them pretty often. And so Cole Calhoun had a home run in this game. And, I mean, it was just – oh, and then he, Cal, Calhoun had a home run in game number two as well. So two, yeah, two home runs against the Angels in this three-game series. And just the bullpen was just really ineffective in both games. And I, the bullpen to me, as far as the front A-level guys, so the, that would be uh, Ortega, Loop, Tapera, and Iglesias, you know, I think they've been fine. This, to me, this is – this these outings these games have been more blip, blips on the radar and I think they'll be fine. You have to remember that Rysel Iglesias really struggled uh, at the beginning of last year as well. And while Iglesias hasn't been as particularly locked down as we've wanted him to be in this last week or so, I think he'll figure it out. But yeah, giving up giving up two walk offs in the about a week is not exactly the ideal look for Rysel Iglesias, but I am confident that he will figure it out. Same thing with Tapera, right? He got lit up on opening day, then he was flawless pretty much the rest of the season, and then a couple of days ago in game number two, just gave a bunch of runs. Defense let him down. It was just a bad situation all around. But at least, at least the Angels did show a lot of fight coming into, coming into the third game uh, with Jared Walsh being captain clutch as usual and tying the game up in the top of the ninth inning, and then just... You know, I, I wish I wish Mike Trout and Shohei Otani were as clutch as Jared Walsh because what I think would really kill the Angels in the in the the last game of the series was that top of the tenth inning. So, which I, I hate that that runner on base rule, but it worked out for the Angels' advantage, right? You had Andrew Velasquez, the squid speedster, right, leading off uh, on second base um, at the top of the tenth inning, right, and then you have boom, top of the order. So, okay, you have. Ward, Trout, and Otani, and you think, okay, the Angels should score at least one run right here. Well, they do score a run, and that run shouldn't have happened because Trout, with a great clutch opportunity, just hits a ground ball. I leave it, yeah, leave his third base, and then Squid just breaks and he goes home. And he's running home, running home, and the throw is bad. It's low. It kind of skips around, and then Heim can't catch the ball, and then Squid is safe. And I go, okay, great. So now you have Taylor Ward. I believe he was at third. Yeah, I think he was, yeah, Taylor Ward was at third base. And then you have Trout at first base with no outs. And you already scored a run. And you're thinking, okay, big inning. And then Otani can't get it done. Uh, Rendon can't get it done, right? And then even though Rendon has been very clutch lately, just you wish that this team would just, you know, have some clutch hits in the series. And specifically looking at Trout and Otani, they really haven't had too many big clutch moments this year. And I think. Once they can, you know, kind of start to perform in those clutch moments, the Angels will be fine. But um, another problem that I saw in this Texas series, and I'm not going to, 
I mean, I joke around on Twitter and I'm very pessimistic a lot just that when things go bad for the Angels, I'm pretty much like sky is falling or I will reference the fact that I picked this team to not make the playoffs and then when things start going south for the Angels, I will kind of bring it up and say, oh, this is why they're not a playoff team. But again, I have to see it to believe it. So, But the Angels hitting-wise was just so top-heavy. Again, and this... Hasn't been a problem lately. It was a problem early in the season, but it came up again in this Texas series. So the the first five hitters, right? Ward, Trout, Otani, Rendon, Walsh, perfect, right? Fine. But it's that six through nine, right? They call them the other guys. They had that whole segment with the T-shirts saying the other guys or whatever, right, on Valleys. And just lately, they haven't been performing well. Uh, Wallach has really not hit well. Wade hasn't hit well. Duffy, ever since he came off the IL, has not hit at all. Uh, Squid has actually been hitting pretty decently. But when he's the only hitter out of your six through nine spot that's really performing well, I mean, it. Once you get through, once you get through Ward to Walsh, the pitchers can kind of just breathe easily, and then it's smooth sailing from there. Uh, Luis Renjifo has been has been like a solid one for four contributor at the plate ever since he's been called up. But Renjifo, man, I mean. I, I don't understand what he's still doing on the Angels. I don't understand why they called him up. I thought that they should have just kept Jack Mayfield up um, and just had him play. Because to me with Ren Hifo is that, like, yes, right now he's hitting decently, but he, he just he doesn't have the baseball IQ. And we saw it when he first came up. He would just blow through the uh, signs at third ba- at the third base coach. They would tell him to stop, and he would just put his head down and keep going. And then he would run the Angels out of an inning. And then... Um, he did it. He did it again on uh, game two, right where he got caught stealing. And pitchers looking at him, looking at him, looking at him. And then he just puts his head down and goes. And then it's just an easy pickoff attempt. And then he's out at second base. Um, and then again, in the last game, he jumped in front of Squid in the ninth inning, and that should have been an error. And I still don't understand how it was an error because he jumped in front of Squid, and then he kind of just bobbled the ball, and then couldn't make a great play on the ball. And thankfully, I mean. That didn't come back to bite them. I mean, the Angels still lost the game in extras, but that could have been a game-changing play, and that was a big reason why the bases were loaded with two outs, and then Iglesias had to come in and bail out uh, Jose Suarez. So I just think that when when the Angels, when they're six through nine hitters, the other guys, if you want to call them, when they're not performing and when the Angels lineup gets really top-heavy, once you don't have the A-plus games from Trout and Otani, and once they don't, if they don't perform well in the clutch, as we've as we've seen in this series, then that is the Angels' recipe for disaster, and then they are not going to be performing well, and they're not going to win many ball ball games if these six through nine hitters aren't performing well. And I really think they need to get Matt Duffy going. He was a key contributor early on, and then yes, he just got back from the IL, but hopefully, hopefully they can kind of figure that out, and the, the starting pitching needs to be better, and so. There has been a lot of discussion about should the uh, lately now with the bullpen struggles in this series, should the Angels instead target a, a reliever instead of getting a starting pitcher at, uh, before the trade deadline? And I'm still of the belief that you still need to get a starting pitcher because the problem is is that if the starting pitching can't hold up, then the bullpen gets overtired and overtaxed, right? I mean, you saw it in this series with Thor not being able to get out of the first inning, um, Detmer's really struggled in that second game, just couldn't find the strike zone. He only went three and two-thirds. And that just puts a lot of strain, right, on your relievers because then Ortega has to come in in, like, the fifth inning. And then Bearclaw, Loop, 
to para and then it just kind of just snowballs right when you've already had uh some when you already had uh, thor only give you or give you less than an inning because then jaime bria has to come out for four and then mike myers for two and everything just kind of snowballs but if you have great starting pitching i reed detmers yes he threw the great no hitter i just i said at the beginning of the season i don't know if he's ready still uh, for the majors he just really needs to work in that fastball command and they need to stop having him throw so many fastballs but and that goes for every pitcher i mean otani too they were calling so many fastballs for him and yes he had a great game but i feel like if they would have just called more sliders more cutters curveballs you know the off-speed stuff the splitter then maybe he can have a longer outing and maybe save up the save up the bullpen but i really think that a, a great starting pitching is more important to this team than adding adding bullpen help because you also have to remember that Quijada, uh, Archie Bradley, and then Warren are, are hurt right now and still on the IL. And the Angels haven't had those three guys in a long time. And then you also have to remember that Ty Buttry is still uh, working back up in AAA Salt Lake, and that hopefully he can rejoin the team maybe by the end of May. I'm not too sure. Um, the Angels have been really cagey as far as the recovery on those three relievers as well. And I think once they can get those three back, then the Angels' bullpen will start to rebound a little bit better and will have better results. Um, originally, I thought I was going to come on here and just bash the Angels and say, oh, this team is done. But you know what? No, like it's baseball, right? Getting swept by the Texas Rangers is really upsetting. And we just got to, as Angels fans, just got to take a deep breath. They have an off day tomorrow, so thank God for that. And then just show up loud and proud of the Big A uh, for the team against the Oakland A's. And these, these, these games against AL West opponents are going to be, again, massive, right? They need to just step on the throat for these AL West uh, rivals. And hopefully, hopefully this can happen, but we will see, right? Because inevitably... So I thought that I thought the Angels might would start to fade around mid June, and we'll see, right? We can look back at this Texas series as as a stepping point, right? Either way, in a good in a good direction or a bad direction. Either they they can you know take this uh, take the sweep behind them and um, just move past it and use it more as motivation, and then go out and just you know continue the winning ways and it was just a blip on the radar or if this was the old angels right they start to get in their head start to get this woe is me kind of attitude in the clubhouse and then just they feel like that anything can go wrong will go wrong and then they kind of just spiral out of control so i in reality i think that this next week coming up starting with this weekend series against oakland this will tell us a lot about the angels um yeah, so, so coming up, they have a three-game series from Friday to Sunday against Oakland. Have an off day on May 23rd. And then the tech, the big bad Texas Rangers come back to Anaheim uh, from, what's this, May 24th on Tuesday through May 28th, uh, or May 26th, sorry, on Thursday. And I think that's going to be a key series. And so we'll, we'll see how the Angels respond. Hopefully, I think they can respond and bounce back and continue to keep pace with the Houston Astros. But it's baseball. We still got a long way to go. And for everybody who was kind of puffing their chest at the power rankings and the standings or whatever and saying, oh, the Angels are in first place at the at middle of May or beginning of May or whatever, or put them in the top 10 of the power rankings. Okay, first of all, you have to remember the power rankings have no power. This isn't college football. This isn't, this isn't college sports where rankings or a poll doesn't determine your standings or, your, or where, who you're going to play or whatever, right? 
The standings are what matters. And the Angels still, even getting swept by the Texas Rangers, are only a game behind the Houston Astros. Now still, it's early to look at the standings. I don't want to look at the standings until June 1st, but just take a deep breath. It's going to be a long season. Enjoy the ride. I know the Angels have been frustrating lately, but I think they can bounce back. And so after a surprisingly positive take on the Angels, let's go over to the Anaheim Ducks with some great uh, comments and insight from GM Pat Verbeek on the conclusion of the 2021-2022 season. So one last thing before I talk about uh, Pat Verbeek's uh, comments at his season-ending or season-concluding press conference with the Angels is that, yes, the FBI is investigating the sale of Angel Stadium. I don't really want to comment on that until all the details are out. It looks like it might be more uh, the fault of the mayor of Anaheim and Anaheim Chamber of Commerce and all of that, but instead of, unfortunately, instead of Artie Moreno's fault, but I just want to, uh, I don't want to say anything until all the details are out. But Anyways, let's get into Pat Verbeek's season-concluding press conference. And first off, the first question that was asked was about uh, what is John Gibson's status with the team? You know, how does he feel about the rebuild? And then he didn't give an answer. And so to me, that's telling as far as where, where I think John Gibson will play next year. I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be surprised if they trade him to Toronto, if they can somehow fit him uh, on their salary cap or something, or an East Coast team that is still in playoff contention. I don't know. I don't think they're going to uh, – Ducks fans have floated out. Maybe they'll trade him to Philly or New Jersey or something. I, that's not going to happen. I think that if you're going to trade John Gibson, it's going to be to a contending team, and it'll probably happen around the draft. But um, – I, I just think that with Verbeek uh, not really giving any comments or not elaborating uh, further on the Gibson situation, to me that just makes it more obvious that I think that he will be uh, he'll be getting pushed out. And so, with the Ducks, you know, kind of building around the young core of Zegers, Terry Drysdale, and Mason McTavish, it it really uh, it makes their draft really interesting because can they draft another? center or do they have to go with defense and i don't want them to be maybe forced into thinking they have to draft defensemen in this draft or in the or at number 10 right you know if they can just go with bpa at number 10 and then maybe just get the best defenseman that's in the that's at the uh with the uh, second first round pick that would be in the 20s um i think that i think it's pick number 20 if i'm not mistaken because that's ten, that's usually how things go in the draft, right? Is that you know the forwards, right? They they're the high risers at the draft. They go like you know five or four picks ahead of maybe what they're projected to because the forwards are flashing. Everybody wants to see the forwards and scout the forwards and all of that, and they bring the high upside and the most excitement. But then the defensemen, right, get kind of pushed down later in the draft. I mean, think about Cam Fowler, right? That's a great example right there, and then. Maybe, you know, the Ducks can get a defenseman at number 20 where that defenseman was probably being rated maybe at pick number 15 or, or even 10 or something like that. You know, you never know. But I do think that, uh, I do think that what Pat Verbeek, his vision, and the, just the way that, that he wants to, you know, maximize um, anything he can get out of his picks, whether that be, you know, drafting the players or with trading them. Uh, there have been some names like uh, Kevin Fiala, uh, 
JT Miller, Jacob Chikrin, even Brock Besser, which that would be very unlikely, but um, the, those are those are potential trade candidates right now. And with the two first round picks, uh, with ten and uh, twenty, sorry, twenty three, tenth uh, and twenty third pick, they could definitely trade one of those picks and package them together for a proven uh, proven talent. And I just love it how Verbeek straight up just said that there's going to be tons of possibilities. And, you know, he didn't guarantee anything. He didn't tip his hand and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. But he's just saying that there is a possibility. And with Bob Murray, I felt like there, there just wasn't a possibility, right? The Ducks were going to build internally, which while I think that's the most important way to build any team in sports, you need to have those outside moves. You need to bring in um, the big trades or sign the big free agents, right? And you can't just build throughout the draft. And especially if you're a small market team like the Ducks, you need when the opportunities for the big swings are there, you have to take them. And so if a team uh, calls up the Ducks on draft day and maybe it's, maybe it's Arizona, right? And they say, hey, we will take number 10, for Jacob Chikrin or some some trade like that, right? That's just a hypothetical scenario. And then they think it over and they say, hey, we can get a proven, very solid NHL-level defenseman who we just lost Hampus Lindholm. Our defense is looking really thin right now. And if we just want to also get a young defenseman in as well, instead of taking a gamble on a top 10 pick, then they would just make that trade. And they would just say that, okay, this is something that we want to do and it is a definite possibility and so i really like that they also have two second rounders and then um three no yeah they have two second rounders this year and so that can also uh that can also be dealt in a package for a proven uh vet more veteran player and i just really really am excited to see this offseason what pat verbeek can do with a uh offseason uh, with his first offseason as anaheim ducks gm and the Ducks are going to have $40 million available in cap space. And so I, I don't expect them to go all out and sign a bunch of free agents, but I think they can just bring in some quality veteran pieces that can establish a core and provide support for the younger players, right? Because we're not going to be having the leadership of Ryan Getzloff anymore or the calming everyday presence of a Hampus Lindholm. So I think that I, I'm just really excited with, with what the Ducks can do in the offseason. I'm not really going to be expecting too much. I'm not going to think that they're going to do something crazy. But just going into an offseason now with hope and that there is a new GM um, in tow for Anaheim, I think just leads to exciting times ahead. ahead. And, of course, having multiple uh, f uh, first, second, and third round draft picks definitely uh, helps as well. And then uh, now there are some coaching vacancies that the Ducks have to address so Jeff Ward, who was basically the power play specialist, um, he resigned at the end of the season and it was kind of just given out as personal reasons. There really hasn't been a reason uh, for uh, Jeff Ward to resign, not that I know of at least. Maybe there's been one released a little bit later, but I don't really know. He wasn't fired and um, I think that's going to be a big, a big uh, replacement because the Ducks, right, they had the worst power play in uh, 2020 and 2021. And then they got to about 13th this year. And that's a huge improvement, right, going from 31st to 13th or 14th. And the power play was just remarkably better. And I think most of that is having the creativity of Trevor Zegers around. But still, I think that's going to be a big, a big uh, loss. And they'll have to definitely uh, find another power play coach. And 
yeah, we'll see. Hey, you know, hey, maybe maybe uh, did they bring up Francois Beauchemin? I don't know, but uh, Newell Brown, who has been a Ducks coach for a long time, Stanley Cup champion, uh, assistant coach Randy Carlyle in 2007, he will still be on the staff. So the Ducks just need to find one more assistant staff to round out the coaching vacancy on Dallas Aiken's staff. Um, going into the theme of coaching, so. Uh, they also, Verbeek also let go Joel Bouchard, who is the head coach for the San Diego Goals, and that included the assistants Max Talbot, who former NHL player, great player for the Penguins back in the day, and Daniel Jacob, and he kind of just gave his reasoning as just, you know, going into the reset and going into the rebuild, he just wanted a new voice, I guess, in the Goals locker room, and I didn't watch, I didn't watch any of the Goals games, to be honest, but from... What people have said and what I've heard is that uh, there really wasn't a great structure as far as how the goals play this year. And I think it really showed in their, in their first round uh, loss to the Ontario Reign. And so I think just Verbeek, you know, when he took the job, right, he had to evaluate everything, right? He had to evaluate the coaches, the players, every little nook and cranny of the organization. And if he thought that Joel Bouchard and his staff didn't fit the vision and the future of this organization, then, yeah, he has every right to let them go. And while, you know, I, I don't think that was a wrong decision, I don't, I don't really feel one way or another, but, again, with, with Pat Verbeek taking over and this being a new chapter in the era of the Anaheim Ducks franchise, I just think that, you know, ownership, which the Samuelians have done a great job in taking a step back, as far as like you know, making the hockey decisions, I think that you know it's great that that they are still giving Pat Verbeek all the keys of the kingdom, right? They pretty much let Bob Murray run the show, and it was a little concerning at times because you know, right? Unfortunately, all the all the uh, news came out with his alcoholism and just being abusive in the workplace. But as far as doing his job. For the most part, Bob Murray was a very successful GM, and I think that was mostly because the Samuelis understood that they didn't really understand hockey or that they knew that they would rather trust the hockey department to make the hockey decisions for the team. And so I think that's just great that they're letting uh, Verbeek do that. Um, and then another topic that I guess has been kind of, it's been really forgotten about uh, in the last few years, but uh, we have some unsigned college prospects yet, Jackson Lacombe and Henry Thrun. Um, I believe Lacombe was a second-round pick a few years ago, and Verbee kind of downplayed it, and then he just said that he has been commu uh, communicating with both of them and that they are both committed to signing with the Ducks and that they need an extra year of school to round out their development. And I'm like, great, because we need a defense pro uh, defenseman on the NHL, in the AHL, and they're both left-handed defensemen. Lacombe is more of an offensive defenseman, uh, been a rising player the last few years with uh, Minnesota, and then he was, yeah, yeah, with uh, Minnesota. And he's more of an offensive defenseman. And I think that, I think that, you know, once these guys can kind of get into, into the rookie camps, into the development camps, and get in a training camp, we can really see where they're at. And hopefully they do sign very soon. Um, but, the last thing that he really talked about was the impending free agents. So there are a few available, mostly RFAs. Um, pretty much the main RFAs is Isaac Lundestrom, Sam Steele, uh, Sonny Milano, and then Urho Vakanainen, which is one of the defensemen they got in all of the trades. He came from Boston. And um, I think that they will bring back, you know, Lundestrom and Milano and Vakanainen. Sam Steele, just let him walk, please. I don't really care. I 
don't really see a future with this team. And especially if they draft if they draft a center with either the number 10 or the 23rd pick, if they draft a center, I mean, I don't see where Sam Steele can play on this team. But that's just my opinion. Again, I want them to keep Adam Henrique around as much as possible. Yes, he can uh, go between the center or the wing. He can play either one. Preferably, I'd rather have him have him at center. But we'll see how it goes. How see how it goes in the off season. But yeah, I think they'll bring back Lundstrom and Milano and Vakanaid and Sam Steele. I could see them bringing them back. I don't want them to, but it wouldn't surprise me though if they do bring him back. Um, Zach Aston Reese and Dominic Simone are also uh, UFAs, so they're unrestricted free agents. I really do hope they they bring back both of them. More so, I think I like, I think I might like Simone's game more than Zach Aston Reese. But still, you know, it would be nice to just have that depth and have a more of a veteran presence and not just throw out someone like uh, like Jacob Perot right on the fourth line and say, hey, play play seven minutes a night and then you're going to be playing with non-skilled players right that really won't do much for his development and so hopefully they can bring him back and just really just round out that fourth line and then what's kind of interesting was that they didn't talk about any um, possible extension for troy terry and i think they want to give him maybe another year a prove it year or something like that maybe they can get it done um this off season we'll see i hope they can get uh, a nice deal done for locked up for troy terry but we will see you know right you know, was he a flash in the pan? I don't think so. I think he played way too well this year for him to be a flash in the pan, one-hit wonder type of player. But you never know, right? And so there hasn't really been any news as far as a Troy Terry extension. So maybe don't be on the lookout for that just yet. Maybe it will happen uh, in the middle of the season, but that rarely happens. So I, I do hope they do lock up Troy Terry because as Eric Stevens mentioned in this article, so which is from The Athletic, great, great read. Eric Stevens is the man. And, yeah, the Ducks are just committed to building around Zegris, Drysdale, uh, um, McTavish, and then Troy Terry. And so I, I don't – it's just there are bright days ahead in, in Anaheim. And while the John Gibson si- situation can kind of be a dark cloud because he has been a fixture for this team for so long, been one of the best goal- goalies in a for a team that has had fantastic goaltending all throughout its history – you know, it can be kind of a messy breakup, but I think that they just have to embrace the youth movement. And then there are also a lot of uh, free agent goaltenders out there. And so if they do trade Gibson, I think that, you know, they want to go with Stolarz right as the starter. But what if Lucas Dostal isn't ready yet for the NHL? What if he's not ready? Which I'm not saying he, he won't be ready, but just what if, right? You can sign in um, one of the unrestricted free agent goaltenders and just bring him in and just see if... You know, hey, can they succeed with the Ducks? Can they be a solid backup? Or can they even play better than Stolarz and become the starter and then just throw a huge wrench into the Ducks' goaltending plans? But we'll see. We don't really know exactly how the offseason is going to work because there is a new GM, and this is his first offseason as the Ducks GM. So, you know, all we can compare to really for a long time is Bob Murray, and it's clear as day that Pat Verbeek is a much different GM, much different uh way of thinking and a much different way of going about things and I think it's a huge breath of fresh air for this franchise and so while I'm still a little bit upset that they brought back Dallas Akins I mean as far as all the player moves and the player development right in the offseason I think that it's just going to be great going forward um, Max Comtois is also playing uh, for Team Canada in the IHF World Championships which was something that Adam Henrique said last year really uh, helped his development this year and we saw it Henrique just had a great offensive season and Hopefully, you know, Comtois can just get in that right mindset and then 
keep the Ducks moving forward. And so, yeah, just a lot of positivity and a lot of optimism around the Ducks. And uh, maybe we can keep that up for the Angels as well, which I know it's still kind of kind of weird getting uh, accustomed to being more positive about the Angels. But that's everything. That's all the news I got for this episode of the Catelicast. Please remember to listen, share, download, or review five stars only. Uh, this, uh, listen to this podcast on all podcasting platforms. We are available everywhere. Please follow the show on Twitter at Catelicast Show. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you in the next episode. Let's go Ducks and let's go Angels.